Hi everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of Learning Out Loud. Today we're joined by Rich Deemer, a 1980 graduate of the University of Virginia McIntyre School of Commerce and current co-founder, co-chair, and treasurer of Cav Angels Investment Group at UVA. Cav Angels is a non-profit network of UVA alumni, faculty, parents, and students which invest in the ever-growing entrepreneurial ecosystem at UVA and the startups born out of it. We had a great conversation with Rich about how he went from working in a 7-Eleven as a kid to running Cav Angels his relationship with risk, and the consistent qualities of successful founders that he's observed. Enjoy. Learning Out Loud is excited to announce that we're forming a partnership with College Contact. College Contact is a technology platform that connects high school students with college undergraduates for affordable and accessible college admissions advising. In short, your student gets to meet with a current college student at their favorite university. Once you set up an initial meeting with College Contact, they'll match your high school to a college student based on your preferences. This college student will mentor and advise your high schooler through the entire process, from forming a college list to brainstorming, writing, and editing college essays to applying for scholarships and financial aid. The best part? It's extremely affordable, with hourly sessions starting at just $60 an hour with our 20% off discount code, Learning Out Loud. So to start off, could you describe for the audience what Cav Angels does, how you got involved, and what that process was like for you going from the corporate world to doing the angel investing for UVA? Yeah, so uh, getting involved with Cav Angels was, like many things in my life, uh, kind of luck. Um, kind of, I, I would say I've hit the lottery maybe three or four times in my life. And to get to UVA, I actually hit the lottery. I was a a commuting student to Rutgers. So I'm from the Northeast. I was commuting to Rutgers from my ha- home in New Jersey. Uh, and you won't believe it, but I actually won a scratch off ticket. Uh, and basically I'm the oldest of seven kids and I was first generation. So oldest of seven kids, I was probably the most fiscally responsible knowing my dad had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, things to pay for coming down the pike. Uh, I won't tell you where my two youngest brothers went to school because you can tell the fiscal responsibility totally disappeared. Uh, Villanova and Fordham it was. But anyway, uh, so I commuted to Rutgers, uh, worked at a 7-Eleven during most of that time, uh, and happened to, uh, uh, my girlfriend actually came back from school and was looking for a job. And I, uh, uh, we bought a lottery ticket together. And uh, believe it or not, we won 10 grand, which back in 1976 was, or 77 was was a lot of money. So uh, half of that gave me the financial wherewithal to look to possibly transfer. Uh, and I looked at Georgetown where she was, and I looked at UVA and made the right decision to come to UVA. Uh, fast forward, uh, my girlfriend is also now my wife of 40 years. Uh, so, um, oh. uh, yeah, so that, that all worked out, right? So I hit the lottery with her and I hit the lottery with her again, I guess is the way I would put it. That's two of the four. Hitting lottery, uh, getting into UVA, I count that as a hitting lottery. Uh, and I also would count uh, you know, my two kids, my two daughters uh, as hitting the lottery. So I, and maybe that's the fifth time. So with, with the Cav Angels, um, uh, I was, uh, I left the corporate world. Uh, we, you know, that was, wasn't planned, uh, but it was unplanned that I wasn't going to go back to the corporate world. And uh, I was looking at uh, potentially some real estate in Charlottesville. And I ended up buying a house, uh, which is an investment property today that, uh, I bought it from one of the founding members, actually the founding member of Cav Angels. So Dick Crawford, who's a triple who, uh, he's chair emeritus now. So I bought the house from him. Uh, he, in his way, always was asking, well, what are you doing now? And I was like, well, not much. 
you know, I'm 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 out, you know, I'm out and looking and you know, so long and the short of it was uh, he talked to me about Cav Angels. And at the time I had made all of one angel investment. I have to tell you, I'm an investor from before I even, I had a brokerage account in high school. I won't tell you about the brokerage fees then, they were through the roof. Uh, but I, I had invested since high school, uh, always been an investor. And uh, when he told me what they did, uh, I had made one angel investment, wrote way too big a check. Uh, I know that now. Uh, only by the grace of God, uh, that that company is still alive. You know, that was a long time ago, but it's still out there and hopefully will monetize someday. And so uh, they had just lost one of their original founders. Uh, he had left Charlottesville and needed somebody with my skill set. So I said, look, I'll take care of the back office stuff and I'll learn from you guys. Jim, Jim and him were two of the original founders, both experienced uh, angel investors. Dick is kind of the father of angel investing in central Virginia. And so I sat with them and learned and, uh, you know, took care of the back office part of it, which I had, you know, that was easy to do given my background. And how old were you at this point when you started the angel investing? How, how well, I made my first angel investment probably when I was, uh, you know, let's say I was 50 years old or thereabouts. Uh, uh, that's about right. And so, uh, you know, uh, when I left the corporate world, I was, I guess, about 57. I turned 65 yesterday. So I'm eight years wow. out. Eight years played. out, and yesterday was my birthday. Yeah, awesome. So, so over the eight years that you've been doing the angel investing, are there any common traits or particular things about the founders or about the companies that you think lend themselves well to success and seeing a pattern over that time? Yeah. So the secret angel investing is you need to get invest in things that have the opportunity to get back to you at least ten, if not twenty or thirty times. Uh, and what uh, what's understood is that of if you're going to make 10 investments, which is not a diversified portfolio, but it's a start to getting there, uh, there's a good likelihood you're going to get most of your returns from one. And if you're lucky, two of those deals, five will go to zero. Uh, and then you have a couple that maybe you make a couple times on and some you get your money back. So it's really driven by the, the, the home runs and you really have to kind of plant a lot of seeds. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's one of the things we talk about all the time. Uh, and what we need to do is find the opportunity to, to get a 10-bagger or a 20-bagger uh, in every deal that we have. It, it doesn't often happen, but that's what you're shooting for. So that eliminates certain things we would never invest in. We don't invest in real estate by definition. Uh, you know, and, and there's just some things that are they going to scale? You know, do they have that opportunity? So that's what we first look for. Uh, you know, uh, there's a couple of different ways when you're looking at an early stage investment. Some people talk about the three T's. Paul talks about the three T's. So that's team. It's uh, it's uh, team and traction and technology are his three T's. I would say kind of like real estate is is location, location, location. I would say my my way would be it's team, team, team. Okay, to start. But uh, you know what goes into a team is really really important. What you look for in successful teams are really important. Uh, you're looking for people that will listen. Okay, everyone think you know you have a plan, you have a big business plan, but that's worth what it was when you wrote it on paper. The next day it changes. Think of companies that uh, you know going in. They, they were in restaurants before COVID, and then COVID came. Yeah. So what did you do? Uh, we had one of those companies which successfully pivoted. Babylon Microfarms, right? It's a vertical farmer. And they not overnight, but they went from being in restaurants, being at the boar's head to then targeting uh, senior centers and nursing homes. 
where you know it's 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 kind of a double plus right because you have people that didn't really have much to do during covid and you want them to be eating healthy and you want to give them an activity and and the microform provided all those things mm-hmm. uh, fast forward they they really have expanded in that segment but you also will find babylon microforms on jet planes believe it or not ones that go over to dubai and you'll find them on cruise ships now too so eating healthy has been quite a what quite a thing and they did a series a uh, earlier this year so they've they've expanded and i think the 10x opportunity there is at least that if not a, a lot of times more than that so. so before you were saying how your background in the corporate world um allowed you to go into cav angels and that's kind of why they wanted you because of your background do you think that you could have gained those skills elsewhere like if you weren't in the corporate world do you think that there was another place that you could have learned all that and still been able to do cav angels so they didn't want me. They wanted anybody. So yeah, yeah, I was alive and there and willing. Okay, let's be honest. Uh, the other thing, the other thing I tell you, and I do a plug all the time for this, and people kind of like, yeah, sure. Uh, I trained as an accountant. Okay, I came to the comm school and I went into public accounting. There were eight eight big firms then. We now have the final four. So it was a long time ago. But believe it or not, uh, my theory about a career and starting a career is you're the sum of the parts of all the things you do. So I started as an auditor and many people are like, oh, I gotta go to extra school for that. You probably get a job because they're desperate even today. Uh, Although technology I think is changing things. But anyway, I started as an auditor. Uh, I was an accountant uh, and I did that and I grew up on smaller jobs and then went to bigger jobs. Uh, And I was there for 17 years. So I actually made partner uh, and I was four years overseas in London. I made partner while I was overseas. And when I was in London, I was going all over Europe because uh, I was an expert in U.S. accounting and they were coming to our capital markets here and needed to convert, you, you say, it, Italian gap, German gap, whatever. And so I'd help them do that. And I got to see a lot of different companies and what a job. You know, I came back to New Jersey and they're like you know, half the guys in New Jersey didn't have passports. But I had the opportunity to go and do that and get amazing experience. Uh, and uh, the other thing I would say is, believe it or not, again, luck three people were offered the job to go over to London and work in the U.S. Capital Markets Group. And I I got, I got, ended up getting it because I didn't make some crazy demands. My wife was pregnant when we went overseas. My youngest daughter got born over there. Thank goodness that all worked out okay. But we moved over there. It's a two-year assignment. They wanted, be, they wanted me to stay. I said, I want to make partner. They made me partner, had some leverage, right? And then ended up being four years over in, in London. So actually being an accountant and having that background and then seeing global... Uh, you know, I think was a building block because then fast forward, I was a CFO, right? Of, of uh, I was corporate controller at, at Honeywell when it became Honeywell, when Allied Signal and Honeywell merged. So that's controllership. It's still accounting, right? Uh, before I left Honeywell, believe it or not, I ran uh, the equity side of the pension plan there. I oversaw managers. Remember, I said I was an investor. I oversaw equity managers and we ran our own portfolio. And I actually traded that portfolio. I was one of three people that ran but started out as a $325 million portfolio and ended up over $500 million. So, uh, you yeah, know, there's the investing element of it uh, coming in there. So I'm, I'm adding to my toolkit, which I needed to do to become a CFO, right? Uh, which I needed to do. And then when I left after being a CFO a couple of different times uh, and was done with that, so to say, in all cases, the stock did really well wherever I was. So I was lucky there probably some something I contributed to that too. But ultimately, you know, uh, I left the corporate world and, uh, you know, I wanted to keep active. 
and uh, kind of fell in. I, I could learn about a new investment, something I didn't have in my portfolio. I planted the other stuff in my portfolio, and I actually have a, a relatively modest family, you know, kind of a run a family office. Uh, so my dad trusts me with his money still, and and some cousins and uncles and and family members. So, so I do that on the side, and now Kevin just is more what I do most of the time on. Wow. So so I'm curious based on based on that, and then based on you talking about being the eldest of seven and your fiscal responsibility growing up, what your relationship with risk was as you were going along with your career? Because I think that you know <laughs> that's the, a terrible. Yeah, I have to be honest here. So um, I'm relatively uh, open and deal with risk, uh, although I think I can partition my risk habits uh, in certain ways. So uh, I love the horses. I grew up in New York, right? Yeah. I grew up close to Aqueduct and I go, I've go. i gone to the Belmont. I go to Saratoga every year. It opened today. I know that because I was <laughs> yeah. watching the Daily Double earlier. There you go. Full, con full confession. There but you know, that you can portion that. You can portion that. So, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not a big bond person, uh, but, you know, I have some elements of fixed income. I, I, I run different portfolios kind of in my mind. I'm much more risk seeking with my IRA than I am with, you know, the core portfolio that we have. And when you're investing in these type of investments, obviously, that's another that's another uh, partition I put up to just kind of say, OK, these are my risk assets here. Uh, I truly believe that these will be outperforming. Uh, the Angel Capital Association would tell you if you do diligence, do dil due diligence report, if you do diligence deals, uh, you know, the, it's it's risk return. So it averages for a good for, you know, if you're doing diligence, 25, 26 percent compounded. Right. We're now kind of in a cycle. It's going a certain way. Uh, but I, I, you know, what I think is we're investing in undiscovered place, you know, Charlottesville, Virginia or UVA people. Uh, you know, we're close to DC, relatively undiscovered. We're not in the go-go, you know, we're not out in Silicon Valley. And I think that's an advantage. Although some of our, some of the people we invest in are out in that part of the world. UVA alums travel everywhere, right? But I, I've either kid myself uh, or convinced myself that I think uh, over time, and there's actually some funds now that invest in undiscovered places, right? So, uh, and we tend to, that tends to be where we, where we invest. So I'm uh, hopeful and relatively confident uh, that we're going to do fine over time, uh, getting on the ground floor of deals that are relatively undiscovered. So we'll see how that all works out. So how do you work? Uh, you mentioned luck in your own life a bit. How do you kind of work that into your uh, thoughts with investing? Um, you know, a lot of people talk about giving yourself the opportunity to get lucky with some of your investments. So how do, how do you think through that? Well, I, you know, I think I'm at a point in my life now that I, I you know, I'm not going to do something crazy to jeopardize all the good stuff that I've done up to this point, right? I've gotten kids, I've got both my daughters through school, one and one's a lawyer, right? So, uh, and believe it or not, both those those children went to school uh, on what used to be called uh, UGMA accounts, now are called 529 accounts. Uh, not only did I get them through school, but I got both of them married through that also. So and and they have extra money that was still left because you know once you turn a certain age it becomes your money right so uh, so I don't maybe it's there's got to be luck and sometime if you can really perform that way but you know all the companies work for and then when you're a CFO you have disproportionate amount you got to buy the stock because it shows other people you believe in the stuff so uh, yeah I I think uh, it's probably time I shouldn't be talking that much about luck certainly winning a lottery is luck but over time. Uh, 
I, I think I'm a pretty decent investor and other people seem to think that too, else they wouldn't give me their money. What would you say um, is the difference that you see between the student groups that you currently see in Cav Angels or the student founders versus the ones that have been out of school for a while besides just having less experience and maybe being kind of naive? Uh, those are probably the primary things. Although, you know, I, I always say uh, I'd never be able to get into EVA now. I, you know, I wouldn't kid myself. So, uh, and I had, you know, I entrust uh, a lot to our undergraduate, uh, our undergraduate interns. You know, we have interns at various levels, but my undergraduate interns are doing what the Darden interns started out doing, which was kind of screening the initial things. And, and, you know, we t turn over everybody during the summer and hopefully most of the others come back. But, uh, you know, Nicole Krolak and, and Carson Bruce, who's just going into the comm school, you know, they're out doing legitimate internships. And I have a rising, you know, second year uh, who's a, a top person. And I have a, a student athlete who really hasn't done much of this before helping out. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So you're asking about the, the student companies. We, we, we've always interacted through the Gallon Challenge, right? Mark Gallon, who's a classmate of mine. Uh, we both graduated in 1980 from the comp school. So we see student uh, entries through that, but we also see the more mature entries through that. We actually saw some Harvard entries through that because uh, Mark went on to Harvard. And I, I can't differentiate those from the UVA ones, quite frankly. So maybe maybe I'm not trying that hard. But uh, no, I mean, we're involved with all the student competitions, the E-Cup, as you know, uh, Sophie and Leah won this year. In prior years, uh, actually, <laughs> Elizabeth won uh, two years before that, right? So um, we see them all. Uh, they're very open to coaching, which is great. Uh, you don't always get that with more mature with more mature ones. They tend to listen. If anything, they probably get advice from too many angles, so it's hard to determine good advice versus bad advice. And they come up with really neat ideas. They tend to be smaller scale ones. So, uh, you know, I think part of the investment there is to encourage, but also the, to hope they come through like every other one, uh, you know, compare, comparing that one to Luminoa, which you're going to read about in UVA today, tomorrow. So it's already online, that article put us through 20 million of investment. And that's Neil Piper, you know, who was in pharma industry, had the unbelievable, terrible circumstances of having a son that they discovered had a tumor, you know, when he was two and a half, three years old. And it's a happy story, right? Because ultimately uh, Noah's running around as an eight-year-old now, but he had to be fed through a feeding tube. And that's like terrible. It's a disaster to do all that. So, you know, Neil, basically that's his founder story and his all his background and experience and the things he saw different than a student, you know, obviously uh, and the team he's able to pull together. I mean, think of Sophie and Leah pulling together a team now, right? How do they know how to judge? So, yeah, they, we, we try to help. Uh, we're not the best at helping, but we always have advice. There is enough resource at UVA through, uh, you know, the iLab and other other resources like that. Uh, our general counsel actually works at the law clinic at UVA. So if you need help forming an LLC or something, he would do that. So there's a lot of resource around. And, uh, you know, I think it's more just uh, the, the more mature ones that are out of school longer have, have seen more things. You know, Darden MBAs oftentimes have been working for four or five years before they come back and they're, they're pivoting. So, do you, do you see any commonalities in the backgrounds of the successful founders? I mean, you mentioned Luminoa and that kind of personal pain point. I know we've spoken with a few other people that their ideas come from these like personal issues. Um, 
everyone's got a everyone's got a founder story. Uh, I don't know about commonalities. It's certainly uh, there is uh, enough of uh, something that happened that caused them to act or to figure we're going to change something or this could be done easy, uh, easier or better or cheaper. So you always have those type of stories that are there. Uh, you know, you, you want to see a moat. There's not always a moat, which you know, makes it really tougher to succeed. Uh, you know, technology is changing so quickly these days. So you want to make sure you're not going to do something that, you know, a year later, there's something else that's coming in. So I, I think it's a, it's an energy, a drive, a passion that you're always looking for. Uh, and most importantly, I use the Babylon example, the ability and the mind space to kind of pivot. Uh, hopefully pivot before you're forced to pivot, right? So I think those are some of the things we see. When you're looking at a student company, how much of it are you looking at the industry, looking at the company itself versus looking at the founder? And then what does that same assessment look like for the ratios between each of those? For yeah. the I, I think they're very common. Uh, you know, I, I don't say, oh, this is a student company or, you know, recently student graduated student. I mean, we get companies that the students are still in school, right? So, uh, we don't look at them and do it any differently. Uh, I would tell you uh, probably the the level of interest uh, from our investors, you know, we, of which we have 143 now accredited investors, may slant one way or another, and that's probably just based on perception of risk, right? right. Uh, yeah, so that's all factored in. So, but what I try to do, you know, it, it, uh, what I try to do is be responsible to our investors because ultimately. You know, we have UVA Health and we have a lot of innovation going on in the healthcare space. And so, uh, but I don't want to have all my UVA, all, all my uh, accredited investors uh, just exclusively investing in that. Why? Because they tend to take longer because of regulation and other things like that. And because ultimately I want to present them with a balanced opportunity portfolio to choose from, right? Then what they choose is up to them. I, you know, they're going to tell me, I like this one. I'm going to invest this match and that type thing. Uh, but I also think there's an element because, hey, what makes us different? We're CAV angels, right? And by the way, I, I have to say this, it's got to go. So we are not affiliated with UVA at all, okay? Uh, we we are uh, we are an affinity group, which means, uh, you know, if we wanted to, we could buy uh, lists of donors and things like that. We did that once a long time ago. We haven't done it since. We have the support of the Alumni Association because for the last four years, They've let us uh, do a lunch and learn type thing. We started with uh, here's Cav Angels. This is what we do, uh, and then we moved on to here. These are the companies we're investing in, and then what let the companies tell the story. Now I have to get back to what your original question was, which I forget now. But uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So oh, so what makes us unique? It's we're UVA, right? There's an element the school spirit in this that really drives me. You know the fact that I know if I didn't go to UVA. You know, I would have been with all those Rutgers people trying to get a job in New York. And how do I stick out? Uh, I wasn't that right. I came from out of state uh, with a UVA, uh, you know, uh, background, which I know I just know has helped me in almost anything I ever interviewed for. Right. I mean, it's just reputation and otherwise. So, yeah. So and all I think all our members are like, I bet you 90 percent of them give to UVA annually. I mean, I write my checks. I'm Rotunda Society, whatever society I'm in. But this, to me, is a way of giving back that's unique. Uh, it's a way that, well, some people might say, oh, well, they're not going to give as much. They will have the opportunity, if we could do good deals, to give that much more back to the university. And, and they feel good about it. Also, they wouldn't be writing the checks. They feel good about the investment, but they feel about 
good about a UVA person. The other thing I have to mention is if you're asking, doing due diligence and you're asking questions, uh, what do you think the odds are of getting a, a more straight answer from a person that lived under an honor code, you know, which we're all familiar with compared to somebody else? Now, and I'm a former auditor and I've been involved with frauds and stuff like that. So I feel better about getting, uh, you know, a, a straight answer. And I think, uh, you know, that gives a lot of pe people comfort that they're dealing with somebody. They know where they came from. They know where they were and they know uh, they, they feel good about them being successful. So we'll all feel great about if Luminoa, you know, monetizes down the road. We feel great just to invest in it because it seems so obvious why the heck we still have feeding tubes around. Uh, and the team that Neil has pulled together there is is amazing. You know, believe it or not, they have the chief technical officer of Reddit on that team. So, uh, you know, so and, and, you know, you know, at first at one time, Cav Angels was very Darden centric. Uh, but when I came in, I was a McIntyre person. I said, you know, we have some people at McIntyre that are actually, you know, some pretty good entrepreneurs. You know, ever hear of this guy who married Serena Williams, you know, founder of Reddit and stuff. So, and, and, you know, he came back, this is Alexis, came back and spoke at, at Darden and said he did not feel all that supported as an entrepreneur at UVA, to which I say, shame on us. So I don't want to ever hear of another story like that. And I'll do my best to make sure that doesn't happen again. That's awesome. So where do you see Cav Angels going in the next few years? Do you think that it's going to change <laughs> at all, expand at all? Well, I don't see growth stopping. Uh I can say that I'm, I'm theoretically not not promoting this, but what we did is now that we've invested in 47 companies and $20 million, people kind of know what we're going to invest in. Not everybody has a decision to decide, uh, has the time to decide deal by deal, right? So we are going to have a, a fund, a sidecar fund, which will basically just give us the ability to write bigger checks. And that fund will be a layer on top of whatever deals we do the way we've been doing them, which is person by person. So I think we're going to have uh, hopefully uh, uh, more monetizations because that will help us grow. We've had a couple already, uh, given the fact that 85% of our money was invested in the last three and a half years. The fact that we have two exits at 6X is not bad at all, uh, which shows the potential that's there. And uh, hopefully we, we pull together the sidecar fund uh, and keep doing what we're doing. Uh, I always say maybe there'll be a day when people will say, well, do you want to invest in these other deals? They're not UVA affiliated. And my initial reaction is we're not limited by that. So I probably wouldn't at first, but maybe we'll be so big. We'll look at other deals, you know, maybe Harvard deals will need a little bit of extra money and maybe, you know, we'll pick one or two of those or something like that. Maybe we should avoid the Harvard ones. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> figure out which ones to do. So anyway, yeah, no, I, I think uh, it, it's going to be up onward and upward. Uh, you will read and uh, Monday, we put out our newsletter. And uh, I am uh, what we what we've been doing because I've done a lot of this day to day stuff, almost to the point it's a little bit ridiculous. And part of that was we couldn't afford it to do it any other way. But uh, I'm pivoting myself, you know, to use my terms. And it's in the letter that uh, I wrote, which will appear on Monday. So I'm going to pivot uh, and uh, uh, be uh, just kind of focus on the stuff I like to do most, which are the deals. Uh, and and talking to members and, and students. I'm not going to do as much as the back office stuff. We're actually hiring and outsourcing some of that to very trusted people that we've been working with. And I hopefully that'll free up so I can have a little more family time and stuff like that. So, uh, but that's, you know, we're professionalizing it. It's something the board has talked about. We've talked about it. Uh, we want to do it before someone says, why, why aren't you doing this sort of stuff? 
And so, uh, yeah, there'll be some reshuffling. And I hope, you know, uh, whether it's Elizabeth or, or maybe even more than Elizabeth, we keep an entrepreneur in residence, which is a great thing. But she's an entrepreneur and, you know, she's working on another deal and who knows where that might go. But I love that she presented herself and, and joined uh, after joining as, a, you know, she joined as an educational member, wanted to know how these deals get done after being an entrepreneur. So, so we've got that. I'm hoping we're going to have a permanent uh, chief of staff. You know, we, we've uh, hired the Batten in interns the last couple of years. We were fortunate enough to have an incoming Batten student coming out of the military who, you know, the military gives you time to reacclimate to civilian life. He joined us. So he was our chief of staff before he went to Darden. And I'm hoping maybe Darden will find a way that we can have a permanent chief of staff. And maybe that person is a person at Darden that can do it for credit second year Darden person, because they do, you know, they're always working on, they work before they leave Darden so they can work afterwards, right? So, yeah, so I think we're, we're going to expand a whole bunch of different things. Uh, got a lot of ideas that uh, hopefully not being in the weeds will free me up to kind of continue to innovate. Awesome. Um, yeah, so are there any common pitfalls that you see with the entrepreneurs coming through that you've learned over the years that uh, you know, Cab Angels can support not just monetarily, but also with a little bit of insight about things to watch out for, maybe, you know, not rushing this process or making sure you have your T's crossed and your I's dotted here and there. Yeah, well, the biggest pitfall is just to have a plan and go put your head down and keep going ahead, right? And not listening because you know better than everybody else. So, and and we, hopefully we know that as part of due diligence and we don't invest there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the, sometimes the founder is the reason they're not going to get funded. So, not to say they aren't smart or whatever. It's just maybe they're not coachable or or whatever. Maybe they're not capable of pulling a team together because it's all about what they want to do and how they treat people, right? So, um, yeah. So I, I'd say that's one thing we see. Um, yeah, a bit, yeah. Openness to pivoting, anticipating the pivot is important. Yeah. One thing we have an issue. Well, we've had an issue, but not really that much because we we figured this out pretty quickly. We have members that join and pay with the hope of becoming consultants. And I tell you, know, I can I can sniff those out usually from a long time away. And I basically say we're here to invest. Now, if something naturally occurs where you get together with a team or you help them with something, and they want to do something. That's great, you know, because it's it's based on what they want to do. But yeah, you know, I've literally told I've given them their money back. I've kicked them out. I said, we're not here to advise. We're not here. You know, we don't, none of us are getting paid for doing whatever we're doing. If we're on the board, which we like because we made a big investment, we typically well, if the, their board gets like options or equity, I guess we get that. But we're not getting paid to be on boards. We're getting paid to make sure our investments kind of come through. So, um, yeah, I think. Um, probably isolating yourself with an idea and not getting other people in is the most important. So that's where the, it's really more than I, uh, I know you can spell team with an M and an E for me, but it's really about bringing a team together that will challenge uh, and you will accept that challenge. And you know, we all, we all read about diversified teams and the benefits that brings. So having people with different point of views, I think is really, really important. And something that uh, if you don't see it, you, you worry about it a little bit. So you talked about anticipating pivoting a few times. I don't know if you have a specific story that you've done that, or maybe it's just a gut feeling that you get about anticipating a pivot, but how have you gone about doing that? 
Um, I don't know if I've, well, I guess I've pivoted from the point of view that, uh, well, I'll, I'll do it this way. My dad worked for 40 some, some odd years at AT&T before it split up, right? And he ultimately, when he was done with that, he was in charge of all AT&T's real estate, not having go to gone to college. So, uh, and that was the mentality, you know, of that generation, uh, you know, your, your job for life type thing. I certainly entered public accounting with that kind of mode, although within a year or two, I was like, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, I was I was actually doing small banks and educational institutions and hospitals. And I was like, you know, auditing was getting pretty. Well, it wasn't the most safe thing because of some of the places I was going to do that. But I was like, I don't know if this is for me. And, and what happened, believe it or not, is I got put on one of the biggest jobs in the New Jersey office at the time is an industrial company to look at a small little company uh, and do kind of a side audit of that. I was on my own here. I was I'm not even a year with the firm. Uh, and I kind of stumbled onto something that maybe some people, because it's dull and it's auditing, wouldn't have questioned, but I questioned it. And it was uh, basically a fraudulent thing that was going on between a customer and this small subsidiary of a big company. And the fact that I found that and brought it to the manager's attention, you know, uh, I then was no longer on those smaller companies. I, I've kind of proved myself, you know, that I, I, I was thinking while I was doing this kind of dull and boring work. And so uh, I then went on that bigger job and I ended up being the manager in that job before, I, you know, over people that were like, who's this person? Right. So uh, I, I guess there, you know, I mean, it's luck or, or, or you stick to itiveness or stuff. And, you know, I ended up being there for, uh, at, at KPMG, what ultimately was KPMG for 17 years. Uh, I did the overseas assignment. I came back and it was kind of like it wasn't really building on what I had done. It got frustrating. And that's when I jumped over to the client side, over to over what was Allied Signal, which became Honeywell. So um, I guess uh, I kind of learned that uh, if it's not going well and, uh, you know, uh, this whole idea of you're accumulating a portfolio of skills. Uh, so then I went to, you know, really more corporate finance controllership. And, uh, I did that for a while. I became a CFO of a couple of divisions there. Uh, then when we almost became GE, cause I was part of the whole thing, I'm, I'm probably one of the few people that could tell you that I pitched to Larry Bossidy, who was the number two to Jack Welsh at GE, but then he came to, to Allied Signal. Uh, Jack Welsh was there when they almost bought us. Uh, there's books been written about that. So I pitched to Jack Welsh and then he handed off to Jeff Immel, probably one of the least uh, least efficient uh, uh, handing off of power because you know what happened to, G to uh, GE after Jeff Immel came in. But I pitched all of those people and and uh, you know that was all neat. And, and I wanted to stay there and want to stay there. And then it just obviously wasn't going to work out. So then I went and did the trading stuff, which was, you know, kind of like my passion to actually be able to to trade and 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 talk to investors and go and see company pitches all day uh which i enjoyed a lot uh and then trade the portfolio uh, i tried to become the head of that group didn't have any of the background to do it uh and so then i i jokingly said well sarbanes oxley's and i want to become a cfo and the, my first cfo job was albemarle corporation and i always jokingly say they hired me because i could say it and spell it I went to school in Albemarle County, right? And so uh, Albemarle is the world's biggest lithium producer today. Now we weren't in lithium at the time, but it was a, a small company. You could call it a private public company or a public private company. 
that was headquartered in Richmond, Virginia, uh, and had most of well, global operation. But so I actually ended up being the CFO. That was my first CFO job there, which I did for five years and then jumped to other places after that, mostly for short term stays, all very profitable. And and that's when I kind of like I'm done with this corporate stuff. Let me find something else to do. So um, uh, I think you want to have a level of stick to because I think it gets rewarded. But, uh, you know, students today or, or people entering the job force today uh, don't have the same level of, um, uh, you know, feeling connected to a company. I think the company should make you feel connected. So it's, I'm not saying it's just one way, but, you know, hang hang into there because it may just be time or something that could happen. Uh, and don't if you get a reputation as a job hopper, that's not something you can kind of get out of after a period of time. So really be thoughtful about what you do with your career as well my advice. And I think what, for whatever reasons, it all kind of worked out for me. So. Yeah, it's a great point about, about sticking to it. And something that we talked about with Elizabeth, when we had her on was she had the KPI club where each, each week or every couple of weeks, they would talk about what are the biggest sticking points that are preventing us from getting to where we want to be. And then using that network of the community to try and help them get over that hurdle. So have you had any stories or instances of that similarly in Cav Angels where somebody who might not be directly related to this particular company has an idea or a connection or some way to get past whatever challenge they're facing? Well, what we try to do, and it's probably not directly answering your question, but I would tell you uh, in terms of what I do now and knowing about 45 companies that we've invested in is I could probably spend half my day connecting one to another to another. Uh, we had a we had a, have a student company called Vibes that just kind of came through our doors. You may know of it. They were up in the iLab. They're trying to get into a Techstars program. And uh, and they were trying to get into Miami. That didn't work, but they're still waiting here on JP Morgan in New York. So they're early for us. Um, uh, and and they probably don't need money yet. They still, you know, they're still kind of working through their app and stuff. But what I was able to do is I connected them. So one of the things when they pitched us is they showed the universities they would like to get more well-known in, one of which was Howard University up in DC. Well, we've invested in, or we had angels, uh, have angels invest in uh, a company that's called Carpe Diem. And, and just for the name, I think that company is worth every penny that's put into it. It's actually, a, it's a dating site for African-American professional women uh, and based in DC. And the two co-founders, one's a UVA, they're both Howard Law grads, uh, uh, are, you know, so they're both from Howard Law. And so uh, I was like, we got to connect NASA with these guys from Vibes because, you know, NASA has parties to get mixers and stuff like that. And wouldn't you like to have Vibes there? And you know, it, it was, and, and they're at Howard, right? They can get, they can get into Howard that way. So what we can do is in so many ways, just connect people that are out there uh, Carpe Diem has won awards since we invested in two years in a row from a it's called Technically Magazine uh, that's, that covers the whole DMV region. So yeah, they're legitimate. They're doing well. They've, they've attracted VC and other investment. We were very early on that one. And, and you know, Vibes, they, they might be able to help Vibes and vice versa. So there's a lot of networking stuff that we can do and, and uh, try to do. Uh, to connect people. We've invested in two vertical farming companies that basically were next to each other in the iLab, but are in two totally different markets. You know, uh, we talked about the, we talked about Babylon. The other one is Beanstalk and Beanstalk has a huge vertical farm 
they actually got money from Coastal Adventures, which is a West Coast thing, and they were going to try to populate the uh, the vegetable and, and uh, the, the vegetable aisle in in Costco's. Well, the guys, the, the brothers, and yes, there is one that's Jack. So Bean, the Beanstalk brothers, basically, I figured out they're never <laughs> going to turn a profit that way, and so they've actually pivoted to go and and create fresh salads that can get delivered to your door. The, the door. The, my New York accent came out there. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, and they're going up against Sweet Greens, which I love because that's like a Georgetown deal. And there used to be big rivalries in my household, be Georgetown and UVA. So, uh, and there still are because my one daughter went to the one that didn't come to UVA went to Georgetown. So we're two and two. But you know, so they're going up against Sweet Greens because they figured out that they're not going to make money doing kind of mass production. And you can't make money off Costco when Costco is as good as what they do, right? So, so there's all you know, there's all sorts of connections we can make, uh, and uh, you know, the, it's all about growing the network and and the ecosystem, and we feel we're just well placed to do that, uh, and and we'll continue to be. You, you probably heard about the Manning Institute, right? There's going to be three hundred million dollars putting into put into biotech, and uh, in, in Charlottesville area. And we want to be on the doorstep for those things. We already are through the hospital and through our healthcare advisory council that looks at those type of deals. But you know, three hundred million dollars brings a lot of research, it's a lot of innovation, and I think Cav Angels will be primed to get initial investments in many of those things. What current uh, frustrations do you have, either like in Cav <laughs> Angels or? just in general in your daily life? I have I have no frustrations with Cab <laughs> Angels at all. It's all up and up. You just read UVA today, tomorrow, <laughs> and you'll see all the good news and stuff that we have. Sure, sure. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, there's always, always frustrations. Uh, I, I think what I would say is what frustrates me the most is when politics gets in the middle of business. And I'm not going to tell you one way or another what's right or wrong, because it's not a right, right or wrong, right? We're a democracy. But when that gets into uh, into business decisions, it's totally inappropriate. I'll give you an example. Uh, a tax bill did not get through last year, which made it that R&D companies uh, had to hang up some of their R&D on their balance sheets. And as a result, didn't get tax deductions. And literally, a company that was starting up in biotech might have a tax liability that they'd have to pay the government because they didn't get this routine bill through. And why? It's because we can't talk to each other about simple stuff and politics got in the way. So I, I, I guess that frustrates me almost to the point I don't want to read it in the paper anymore. I, I just want to stay away from it. And, and you know, I think we should just kind of like move forward and, and people are people and that's probably a song. But anyway, you know, just kind of move forward and 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 do the right thing to to progress as a, as a country, as a, as a yeah, if you do well in businesses, you should be able to do well for everybody, right? And I think we just kind of get too much in the way and can't really have good dialogue. So we try to keep keep away from that, but that's frustrating to me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Yeah, so one question that we've been trying to to ask each of the guests and curate kind of a you know mosaic of the answers is how how would you define success and you know, what steps are you taking to get there? Do you feel like you've gotten there already? How, what's your, what's your thought on that? Well, you tell me how you define success. I'll tell you whether I've gotten there. Uh, I think it comes down to without getting into all that, uh, if you can get up in the morning and feel really good about starting, starting the day and go to bed at night, feeling really good that you accomplished something 
and you improve somebody else's life and maybe even yours too, if that's what you're trying to do, uh, that's success, right? I mean, uh, I, I will tell you, I'm I'm not a good sleeper and I do crazy things that in the middle of the night if I wake up and I have something on my mind. So, um, <laughs> but that that's not because I can't sleep, right? It's because I'm energized and, you know, where I am, I can get up really early and get on the beach and ride my bike uh, and come back and uh, be ready for the market to open or in 11 seconds when it closes and and basically say, hey, it was a good day. And maybe the market went down, who cares? But, you know, uh, you see progress. Uh, I love every time we write a check and every time I, I really like it when we monetize, but I, yeah, I feel good about deals that we can pull people in and get something done and give someone like a Neil Piper the ability to go forward and, and make his story even more successful for everybody. So um, I think that's what it comes down to. It's a personal thing. It's hard to define. It's no longer a monetary thing uh, because there's different ways you can define, uh, you know, what, what really drives you. Right. And it's not at all about mon monetary things. So uh, yeah, that's how I kind of, you know, it, it's having your health. It's, it's knowing that you do, you know, your kids are going to go forward and, and, are in a place that they can continue whatever they want to do. So there's, yeah, there's kind of a, it's, I think it depends on the person, how you define it. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah me too. Do you have anything else um, that you want to share either about Cav Angels, yourself, or any other advice you would have for people our age, maybe? Well, so www.cavangels.com. And if you go there, you'll find our newsletters. And we are going to have more of a presence, thanks to Elizabeth, uh, we we started an Instagram account the other day, and we're going to be ha on LinkedIn. Uh, so uh, so yeah, give us a shot. Uh, we all we're trying to do is to give people an opportunity to understand what this space is. And I guess what I always I should have started out with is we're an extracurricular activity, right? So school yeah schools come school school comes first, just like the other day. Uh, Chapin, you had you couldn't be on a call. You were working, that comes first, but this is something, if you want a taste of it, a little taste or a big taste, uh, give us a shot because uh, we we love having uh, people involved and I think uh, you might come away with something and who knows, we might, uh, might change how you're going to define success or maybe set you off in a direction you wouldn't have done otherwise, or maybe get involved with a company that might do that. So yeah, I, I'd, I'd, I think I'd end with that. So.